We're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're going to turn to the book of Exodus. Our reading this morning comes from Exodus 3 and Exodus 4. Uh, You'll find those chapters on pages 46 and 47 of the Blue Pew Bible, uh, Pew Bibles, uh, pages 46 and 47. Uh, We're going to pick up our reading at verse uh, 7 of Exodus chapter 3. Uh, Verse 7 of Exodus chapter 3. We've already looked at the first part of Exodus chapter 3, and now we're looking at the rest of it and looking down into chapter 4 as well. So we're picking up a reading, Exodus 3 verse 7, and uh, we're reading down to verse 17 of chapter 4. We're not going to read all of the chapters, all all of those verses together, but I'll I'll break, uh, break the reading up in just a moment. So Exodus 3 verse 7, this is God's word to us. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and said to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And then God gives Moses some more things to say to the people of Israel. And then we pick up our reading at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground." But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? 
Who, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do the signs. Amen. And we thank God for this, the reading of his word this morning. Well, at this point in our service, let's take our Bibles and turn back to Exodus chapters 3 and 4. Uh, we're going to think about the verses that we read earlier on in our service. Uh, you'll find Exodus 3 and 4 on pages 46 and 47 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're turning those verses up, let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings light and life to us. And we pray now that you would still our hearts and take away any distractions there might be and help us to focus on what you say to us in the scriptures. We pray that we would receive your word in faith and that you would speak to all of our hearts this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a confession to make. It's kind of an embarrassing one, but I feel as though I need to tell you. You know the half marathon that I've been talking about, the one that I was supposed to do at the end of September? Well, it happened yesterday, and I didn't take part. I pulled out of it about a week ago. Now, I could bore you with lots of excuses, but the main reason that I pulled out was because I wasn't able to train for it. I left it too late to start training, and September has gone by in a bit of a flash. So that's my confession. After bleating on about this half marathon that I was going to do, I pulled out of it. Feels good to get it off my chest. Feels like I've lifted a weight off my shoulders. And I have to say, part of me, you know, was happy enough. I was looking forward to doing it. I was looking forward to the sense of completion in, in doing something like that. But I was happy enough. I can now say I nearly did a half marathon once nearly thought about doing a half marathon once. Now, in a very simplistic way, my half-heartedness when it, when it came to running the half marathon but pulling out is a picture of, of what we can be like as we follow Jesus. We're pretty good at coming up with excuses as to why we can't or shouldn't serve Jesus. So often, we're content to serve half-heartedly, to do a little bit for God, but not an awful lot, especially if it interferes with the things we love in life. Well, what's noticeable as we turn to the next part of Exodus is that half-heartedness in service has been a problem for a while. It's been a problem that has been around for about 3,000 years because it has always affected God's people. One of the things that has happened as we've looked at the early part of Exodus is that we've encountered God. We've been confronted with who God is and what he's like, that's going to happen again as we look at the next part of the story. But this morning, we're also going to be confronted with what we're like. When it comes to service, when it comes to serving God, 
we're very good at coming up with excuses. We can sing hymns like Power in the Blood and Belt Out, Would You Do Service for Jesus Your King? Would You Live Daily His Praises to Sing? But when it comes to it, we'd rather not. It's quite a reassuring thing then to see that when he was called to service, Moses, a, a giant Old Testament figure, a man of God, one of the most important characters in the big story of the Bible, it's quite a reassuring thing to see that Moses came up with excuses too. Now, there's a big difference between us and Moses. Moses was a prophet. He was called by God to specific and special service. We are not like Moses because we're not leading the people of Israel. But there's a sense in which we're just like Moses in that we can be resistant to service. We're pretty good at coming up with excuses as to why we can't or shouldn't serve Jesus. Last time we were in Exodus, we read of Moses encountering God. God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, the bush that was on fire but that wasn't consumed. And we saw that God is a God of all-consuming holiness, that he's a God of pre-existent constancy, and that he's a God of deeply felt concern. Having revealed himself to Moses, God God then says that he's going to bring his people out of Egypt. And he calls Moses to be his leader. If you look at verse 10 of chapter 3, you'll see God's call to Moses. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God says, Moses, you are going to lead my people. You are going to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And Moses says, well, I'm not sure. Here I am, Lord. Maybe send somebody else. What comes next are five excuses from Moses But what comes next is also a revelation of who God is. We're going to encounter God again as we think about Moses' response to the Lord's call. And we're going to think about two things. We're going to see that God is is really patient with us and that God alone is our deliverer. We're moving through a reasonably big section of Exodus this morning. But those are the two things that we're going to see. Let's think about our first point. God is really patient with us. Our first point will be longer than our second point, by the way. God appears to Moses in the burning bush. He calls Moses to service. In response, Moses comes up with five excuses as to why he shouldn't do what God is calling him to do. Let let, let me show you the five objections. The first objection comes straight after God's call to Moses. Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses' first response is to say, are, are you really going to use somebody like me? Moses knew his background well. He knew that he was, by nature of his upbringing, a fugitive from Egypt. He had been brought up in the court of Pharaoh, but had fled Egypt after killing a slave driver who was attacking an Israelite. He was a killer, but he was on the run. Are you really going to use someone like me, God? Moses says. He knew his limitations. But after every objection, God responds. Look at his first response in verse 12. He, God, said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God's response is, Moses, get over yourself. I I am going to be with you. I'm going to help you to do this. And then God also promises a sign. But Moses comes back with a second objection in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What what shall I say to them? 
But the second objection is basically, who are you? Who, who am I going to say has, has told me to do this? If I say God has sent me, who, who is God? As we saw last week, God famously responds to Moses by saying, I am who I am. God reveals his name in a way that he hasn't done before. He doesn't define himself to anything. He, he can't be compared with anything or to anyone. And God is the God of the covenant. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's going to do wonders and bring his people into a land flowing with milk and honey. He tells Moses all of that in verses 16 to 22. And he finishes by saying, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Moses says, who am I? God replies, I'll help you. Don't worry. Moses says, who are you? God says, I am who I am. I'm, I'm the God who can't be compared with anything. And what I have said is going to happen. You will bring my people out of Egypt. But Moses still isn't convinced. His third objection comes at the beginning of chapter four. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. What, what if they don't believe me, Moses says. Now, this comes from his previous experience of rejection. Remember gung-ho Moses, the man who was going to save the world. He killed the Egyptian slave driver and thought that that was the start of the revolution. But what happened? His own people said, we have seen enough killing. Why should we trust another killer? Although 40 years have passed, Moses hasn't forgotten his previous rejection. God's response is to say that he will authenticate Moses' message through three signs. You'll see them in verses 2 to 9 of chapter 4. There's the staff that will be turned into a serpent. There's the leprous hand. And there's the river turning into blood. You'd think by this point, Moses would be convinced. But he's not. You'd think by this point that God would be getting pretty frustrated, but he's not. Moses' fourth objection comes in chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. I'm just not very good at public speaking. I don't think I could talk to a big crowd. That, that, that's Moses' fourth objection. Now, there's been a lot written about what Moses, what, what, what Moses meant when he complained about his inability to speak. What he says is best translated as, I am heavy of mouth. Was he shy? Maybe. Did he lack confidence? Possibly. Did he have a speech impediment? We're not sure. Did he have trouble crafting speeches and sermons? Who knows? Whatever his speech problem may have been, Moses told God that he was the wrong man for the job. God replies in verses 11 and 12. He says, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God reminds Moses that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. God had given Moses exactly the gifts he wanted him to have, and Moses was to use those gifts for God's glory. Moses has provided God with four objections and God has replied to them all. But there's a fifth objection and it reveals the heart of the matter. Look at verse 13 of chapter four. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Please send someone else. The heart of the matter, the heart of the problem is that Moses doesn't want to do what God commands. 
He has a fundamental unwillingness to obey. The real issue wasn't that he lacked, lacked the stature to persuade Pharaoh or that he was ignorant of God's name or that the Israelites wouldn't believe him or that he was a poor public speaker. He just didn't want to do it. In his heart of hearts, he did not want to do what God commanded. But God is really patient with him. Really, really patient. In verses 14 to 17, God says that Aaron will help Moses. Aaron will do the speaking. Moses will perform the signs. God's plan will be fulfilled. God is so gracious to Moses. He's so patient to Moses. Verse 14 says that the Lord's anger was kindled against him. That doesn't mean that God flew off the handle with Moses, that he exploded with rage. When we're told the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, it just indicates that Moses was responsible for doing what God had told him. But God is so patient, so very patient. Moses is an unwilling servant. He comes up with excuse after excuse after excuse. And at the heart of things, he just doesn't want to do what God is calling him to do. But God deals with all of his, all of his objections. He doesn't lose the rag with him. He doesn't obliterate him, even though he could. He's patient. Imagine it in this way. Imagine that, imagine that you have made it to the final of The Apprentice. Having started as one of 12, you're now one of three. And when Lord Sugar makes his decision on who to hire, he turns to you and says, you're hired. Instead of jumping up and down in delight, your response is muted. You say, you say well, why me? What, what, what have I done? What, what, what have I got going for me? Who, who am I anyway? And Lord Sugar says, well, that doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm going to help you, so don't worry. And you say, well, who are you anyway? I mean, I know you're famous, you've got a TV program, but what have you actually done? And he replies with his voice, beginning to sound a little irritated, well, I, I've got a business empire and lots of connections with people in the industry. I'm not convinced you say, Do you know, no one's going to buy my product, no one is going to be interested in what I'm selling. Now, I am pretty sure that that would be the point where Lord Sugar says, fine, you're actually fired. I'm not hiring you, I'm hiring them. Get, get out of here. You, you wouldn't have got to objections four and five. Now, it's not a brilliant way of imagining it, but it helps us to see that God is really patient. He could have just said to Moses, fine, go. I, I'll use someone else. Get, get out of my sight. But he doesn't. He's, he's really patient with Moses. He, he's really patient with us too. We're not Moses. We haven't been called to lead Israel out of Egypt but we're called to do service for Jesus, our King. And so often we don't. And so often the root of the problem is that we just don't want to. We're very good at coming up with excuses. That this part of Exodus exposes Moses' inadequacies, and it also exposes ours. Moses was resistant to service. We're pretty good at coming up with excuses as to why we can't or shouldn't serve Jesus. But it also points us to the adequacy of God. In response to every objection that Moses offers, God patiently shows Moses how his presence, his limitless sufficiency and power will be with him. And that takes us to our second point. God is really patient with us and God alone is our deliverer. God is the true deliverer of his people and in and through Moses, his chosen servant, God delivers 
Israel out of Egypt. Moses' call was to trust the Lord in obedient faith, believing that God's power would be displayed in his weakness. We finished our reading earlier at verse 17 of chapter 4. In verses 18 to 31, Moses and Aaron go back to Egypt. The scenes change throughout these verses. We read of how God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. We're going to come, to back, come back to that in the coming weeks. Then there's a strange anecdote about Moses not having his son circumcised. The, the covenant enforcer hasn't followed the covenant. The sense is that you can't have a relationship with God if you're explicitly disobedient. But chapter 4 ends, though, by telling us that God alone is our deliverer and of how the people of Israel realize this. So look down at verses 27 to 31. It says, The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to, to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Chapter 4 ends on a physical low, but a spiritual high. A physical low because the people of Israel bow their heads, a spiritual high because they do so as they worship God. The people have come to realize that God alone is their deliverer. Aaron did the speaking, Moses did the signs, and the people believed. Moses was worried that they wouldn't, but they do. When they hear that the Lord has visited them, they believe. They realize that he alone is their deliverer, that in their situation, there is no one else to whom they can turn. But as we'll see next time, things will only get worse before they get better. The hardship, the trials God's people have faced were nothing compared to what's to come. And the people will learn through the hard circumstances that follow that, 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 that God alone can deliver them. No one else can do it. It has to be God or else they have no hope. God is really patient with us. He should really just cast us aside. He should really just banish us from his presence. But he doesn't and won't do either of those things. That's because God alone is our deliverer. He has come down. He has involved himself in our situation. And he's done that through Jesus, his son. I've been saying throughout this sermon, we're not like Moses. We're not like Moses. There are things that we can learn from Moses' response to the call of God. But we're not like Moses. Ultimately, Moses is a type of Christ. And what that means is that he in some way is a, is a shadow of the Savior who will come. Now, the shadows are very clear in this section. They're not so much shadows as they are sketches in, in, in indelible ink. Think about it. Moses has, has five objections to the Lord's call. Compare him to Jesus. Perfect, willing, never objecting Jesus. Jesus, who, who willingly came into our world and, and gave up the glories of heaven. J Jesus, who was fully God, became fully man, also that he might identify as one of us. Jesus, who when tempted with power and riches by Satan in the wilderness, resisted and, and followed his father's plan. Jesus, who when tempted to let the cup of God's wrath pass by him in the garden of Gethsemane, resisted and went the whole way to the cross. 
Jesus, who willingly endured the horrors of the cross, also that we don't have to. Jesus, who never objected, but always submitted. God has come down, and his Son alone is our deliverer. Do you know him? Do you trust him? Are you following him? Are you serving him? We're pretty good at coming up with excuses as to why we can't or shouldn't serve Jesus. But if we know him, if we love him, there should be no excuses when it comes to what he calls us to do, to what he calls us to give up, to what he calls us to do for him, to what he calls us to say for him. He has given everything up. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And his pattern is to be our pattern if we know and love him. So will you do service for Jesus, your king? Will you live daily his praises to sing? What if you don't know him? What if you don't trust him? Well, well, that needs to change, doesn't it? Because unless it changes, you'll be plundered in the same way that the Egyptians are eventually plundered. But you should hear the invitation that Jesus holds out to you this morning. It's the invitation to come to him, to trust him, to believe in him, to come to know him as your savior and friend. He has come down to save you. He is really patient with us and he alone is our deliverer. There have been countless stories about the Queen uh, told over the past few weeks, and I want to finish with one this morning. Uh, every legislative session in Parliament begins with a visit from the Queen, and it's a very regal tradition. She wears her crown and robe and processes down a hallway lined with the Queen's guards. The hallway ends at the House of Lords, where the Queen enters to take her seat on the throne and essentially commissions the legislators to, act the will of the, to, to, to enact the will of the people. A few years ago, they were forced to break tradition to accommodate the queen in her older age. There's a grand staircase leading to the hallway and it had become too much for her to climb. So it was decided that she would use the lift instead. The first year she used the lift, the lift operator pushed the wrong button. Rather than the entrance to parliament, he pressed the button for the maintenance floor. The lift goes up, the doors open, and Alice, one of the cleaners pushes her cleaning trolley into the lift as she normally does. Only this time, Alice has pinned the queen against the wall of the small lift. The doors close behind her. There's an awkward silence, which is broken by uncontrollable laughter from the queen. And what followed next was the most remarkable invitation. R rather than opening the doors to let Alice off, the queen asks the lift operator to take them down to the proper floor. The doors open, and to everyone's shock, out walks the queen and Alice, the cleaner. Then the queen in her regalia, along with Alice in her cleaning uniform, walks side by side down the, down the hallway. It gets even better. Once a year for the rest of Alice's life, she was invited to Buckingham Palace for high tea with her newfound friend, Queen Elizabeth II. It's a brilliant picture of what Jesus has done, isn't it? The King of Heaven has come down to our level. And we're nowhere spiritually. We're in rags compared to his robes. But in coming down to us, he invites us to come to him. He invites us to come to know him personally by turning from our sin, by repenting of it, and by trusting in what he has done on our behalf. And he doesn't just invite us to come to him for a day. He invites us to come to know him forever. 
Maybe you're pretty good at coming up with excuses as to why you can't trust Jesus, as to why you won't trust Jesus. For just a moment, put all of your excuses to one side and hear his patient, loving, and exclusive call. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. If you don't know Jesus, will you come to know him today? Exodus 3 and 4 tells us that God is really patient with us, and it tells us that God alone is our deliverer. We're pretty good at coming up with excuses as to why we can't or shouldn't serve Jesus. But if we know him, if we love him, there should be no excuses when it comes to what he calls us to do for him. And you might be pretty good at coming up with, coming up with excuses as to why you can't trust in Jesus. But you've been invited to come to him today to come to know the King who has come down to save us. What will you do in response to his call on your life this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these stories in the book of Exodus, and we thank you that through them we encounter you and we come to know more about who you are. We thank you this morning that you are the God who is really patient with us, that you're more patient than we deserve, more merciful than we deserve. And we acknowledge you to be our deliverer as well, the one who has sent your precious son, the Lord Jesus, down to save us. And though we are in rags, spiritually speaking, though we're nowhere, though we're broken by sin, we thank you that Jesus gives us his robes of righteousness when we trust in him. Father, we pray that you'd speak to those who haven't yet trusted in Jesus. We ask that you might turn them around, help them to repent and to trust in Jesus for the first time. But help them to, to clearly hear that invitation this morning, to come to Jesus and to find salvation and rest and a living hope that will last for all eternity. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.